0: Your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians. Thankful for our time together today to study God's holy word. This book that He has continued and protected is such a treasure for us, for in it we know God in His commands, in His ways. What a joy, what a gift. We treasure this time together in the Word. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to preach verse 9 today. I want to read verse 8 and 9 for a little context. Set the table for The work that the Lord has for us today. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. According to the authority of Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. In these verses of Ephesians 2 1 through 10, we have this most clear picture of these mighty truths that are essential to know understand rightly and to testify of about how God saves and is glorified in these things the emphasis that Paul gives us in verse 9 is yet another layer of clarity that we are saved by faith alone and not faith plus works and that we are saved for the glory of God alone that we have no part that we contribute and therefore nothing that we can boast in. Let's first look at the fact that our salvation is not a result of works. Ephesians 2.9, not a result of works. Here is the simple but essential point. We are saved by Christ's righteousness imputed to us and not by any righteousness performed by us. Dr. Michael Horton, a professor of of apologetics and theology at Westminster Seminary here in California, said it well when he said, According to Scripture, God declares a person righteous before that person actually begins to become righteous, to, to do righteousness, Therefore, the declaration is not in response to any spiritual or moral advances within the individual, but is an imputation of the perfect righteousness that God immediately requires of everyone who is united to Christ by faith alone. When a person trusts Christ, that very moment he or she is clothed in his perfect holiness, so that even though the believer is still sinful... He or she is judged by God as blameless. This is a central clarity that Paul has been ordained by God to make abundantly clear in New Testament letter after New Testament letter. Let me give you a quick tour of a few with me. We can see it throughout the New Testament this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, just a little before where we're at there in Ephesians. We're going to look at verse 21 through 25 to begin, and then step through a few other chapters here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins this gets right to the point we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from our obedience or lack thereof to the law no part of our salvation is hangs on any part of our obedience to the law. It is in faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by our works. Therefore, we have no reason to boast. This is Paul's points of emphasis in the next text. Look at verse 26 through 28. Romans three twenty-six through 28. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith Apart from works of the law. So clear. So good. Let me continue to show how he continues to make this point. Turn with me to chapter 4. Paul fleshes this out further in the opening verses. Through an example that he gives in the God's work in Abraham. Romans 4, 1-5. What then shall we say? And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. The doctrine of the justification by faith alone, also known as sola fide, emphasizes that a person is justified in the sight of God, by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. This means God credits Christ's righteousness to a person based on faith alone, not any effort, will, merit, work, or deeds in or of that person. This saving faith is a gift of God that follows regeneration and is the effective cause of justification furthermore it is a salvation by faith alone but it is a faith but it is not a faith that remains alone one cannot mix work and saving faith for justification but true saving faith in Jesus Christ as lord and savior will produce a life of obedience and good works Progressive sanctification unto the glory of God. The key to all of this church is imputation. When a person trusts Christ, at that very moment he or she is clothed in Christ's perfect holiness. So even though the believer still fights indwelling sin, he or she is judged by God as blameless. This is possible because of Imputation. Imputation means to attribute or ascribe or credit. Imputation speaks of what a believer is accredited. The righteousness we are judged by is Jesus' righteousness and not mine. Hear me clearly. The righteousness is not infused into the believer. It is not given to the believer then to be performed by the believer. Do you get that? It's not ours. It is His. It's imputed. It's credited. It's laid upon me. Unlike the arid Catholic belief that salvation is by faith in Jesus and works that we perform... We hold to the sufficiency of the merit of the completed work of Christ alone in order to be justified. And we see this throughout Scripture, throughout all of these texts. Paul uses Abraham as a great example of this. Abraham had faith in God, and so it was credited to him as righteousness. It was by faith. He believed the Lord and he was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis fifteen six. Paul's point is Abraham was a sinner, saved by the grace of God through faith alone. Just like every saved saint that came before him and that came after him. Let me show you another layer of this. Turn with me to the New Testament letter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Looking at verse 14. We spend a lot of time on this topic in Galatians. But we won't. We'll move through this quickly. To set this up for you real quickly, the situation at hand in this text, chapter 2 of Galatians The Pharisees lived beyond the written laws of God. They added their own rules. Rules like you couldn't eat with unclean people. Peter, being Jewish, had grown up in a culture by which Gentiles were considered unclean. But the gospel had changed Peter. He he became freed up in his heart to befriend the Gentiles and to eat with the Gentiles. But over time, Peter got caught up in his old practices. And when the Judaizers came around, Peter wanted to save face in front of them. And so he discriminated against the Gentiles in front of them. Maybe you can think of times in your own life where you're guilty of doing this because of a certain audience being around We take off our gospel identity and we put something else on in order to save some face, maybe avoid some persecution, maybe because we really want to be liked by them. That's our sin at work, church. And that's what was happening in Peter. The Apostle Paul saw this, and he could have simply just said to Peter, racism is against God's will. Don't be racist. And Paul would have been right. But Paul approaches Peter and the leaders who are with him with a different word of accountability. Look with me, Galatians two fourteen. It said this: I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Here, Peter doesn't just level him with "follow the rules of our faith." He takes him back to the gospel. Because the gospel church isn't just the beginning, it's the motivation. It's the identity of the, of the believer. It's the power of the entire Christian journey to live in Christ. Look at his clarity in verse 15 and 16. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Notice the word no. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He's saying, Peter, you and I both know, we agree in the truth of the gospel, in the truth of how God saves, which is what? That justification does not come when we work for God, but when we trust in Christ to justify us freely. So stop acting as though the Gentiles have to do works for God in order to get right with God. The fullness of verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. So this is his point to Peter. Even though we are law-keeping Jews and not Gentile sinners, still we have both come to stake our lives on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We've trusted in Christ alone and not also in our works. By works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In other words, we have ceased to hope in ourselves at all. Why? Because there's no basis for justification on our performance. God has done it all in Christ on the cross. And in his perfect and completed work, we trust alone. Church, in Christ we trust, not in ourselves, not in our works. So Paul takes a moment to remind Peter who he really is in Christ. To reorient him to the good news of faith alone. In Christ alone. Skip down to verse 20, very famous. Galatians 2.20 This great proclamation of truth. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Can I ask you, in what ways are you guilty of loving this verse, of memorizing this verse, of saying this verse, but then not living out this verse? Will you still get caught up in in a performance situation, yours or others. You don't live by faith in the Son of God. We need to live by faith. We've died to ourselves. We've trusted ourselves to Him. So let us not be Christians who love that, who sing that, but then all the time are guilty of putting that down and then picking up fear or anger or, or, or this longing to perform. Like, like that doesn't count in this situation. No, we're desperate for Jesus to be enough, to be our everything. We rest in Him we're fixed in him. We're empowered in him. See with me that the crucifixion of Jesus is the open display of my hellish nature, it is the most radical proof of my hopeless condition. It is my privilege to be so loved by God that even while actively his enemy, in my rebellion, the Son of God died in my place. In Jesus' death, my sin is counted paid for, and his righteousness is counted as mine. When we see this rightly and fully, when we trust in Jesus alone, then our old proud self, which loves to display its power, which gets so fixed on its accomplishments and its faithfulness and its hard work by climbing ladders of morality, it it dies. It needs to die. Self reliance and self confidence cannot live at the foot of the cross. We must be anchored by faith alone, even as we mature into good works. Why? Because God doesn't love you more on the days you do better. You've got to understand that to be so true. If He did, then it's not based on the cross alone. On Christ alone. It is based on your performance, but that's not how it works. The opposite is also true. He does not love you less on the days you get it all wrong. He loves you perfectly, completely, because of Christ He loves you because Jesus got it all right. We are complete in Christ. You cannot do anything to build on what He has done. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's look at the second part of verse 9, so that no one may boast. Because God is the one who saved us, and because we did nothing to earn or merit our salvation, we have nothing to boast in. Nothing to boast in of ourselves. We boast in Christ alone. This is the emphasis of Holy Scripture, that God saves for His glory alone. Meaning, not for anyone else's glory or fame or esteem, but God alone gets the glory. Listen to the Old Testament instruction of the Lord in Jeremiah 9, 23-24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, Declares the Lord. Jeremiah says, Defeat the sin of self exaltation by making much of God. When you're tempted to boast in you or boast in the work of flesh, boast in God. Put away boasting that's in the flesh. I know this feels so countercultural. You feel like a bad friend or a bad parent to not boast in these people you love. We need to glory in this alone, that we know God. If you are inclined to want to boast in intellect, boast in God's. If you are inclined to want to glory in strength or in beauty, glory in God's. If you're inclined to want to brag about your successes, brag on Christ's success. Because every moment you exchange his for this temporary thing, what message is this as compared to this? See the trade. If God is the one who ordains our very existence, our salvation, our ability to do anything that we do, why are we the ones who feel proud and want the credit? When we live in our sin, we boast in self. But when we live in Christ, we boast in Christ. Beloved, there is a true and global change in your disposition that God does when we trust in Christ and we die to sin. In this, we finally see that our best efforts, our most righteous deeds from our flesh, are as good as filthy rags. And that Christ is everything and worth all our praise. See his hand in it. Don't separate the Lord. So you say, well, pastor, then how do I celebrate my child's hard work through this season? You celebrate it by acknowledging the hand of God in that situation. For without it, your child doesn't even live through that season. You don't cut that part off and then only celebrate the child to do that do you see what you're putting away and what you're putting on this this looks normal why because it's it's all the world has to boast in is the temporary so it feels normal it even maybe feels right feels comfortable Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 6. If you're still there in Galatians, look to chapter 6. If you're feeling like maybe I'm putting a little extra emphasis on this, I just continue to hope that the two by four of many scriptures hits you on the head to see that this is the Lord's emphasis and not mine. Galatians 6:11 through 14. Let's see if Paul's putting some emphasis here. Listen. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except. In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. Those who live in the sin of self-exaltation. Desire to make a good show of themselves. Because they crave the applause of key people. They want to show off. Even in good stuff. Look at this good stuff that I'm doing. Look at this good stuff that I understand there's a lot of Christian bragging about Christian stuff that's related to Christian obedience that we should not do. Because it is no different than this propping up that Paul's calling out in these guys. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Hear me, church. Christ exalters are those who boast in Christ alone. Christ exalters regard the pleasure of human applause as a pile of garbage compared to the pleasure of knowing Christ. And so how can you make war with That inkling in you that wants a little applause, wants a little, hey, good work. Hey, I appreciate you. Consider Paul's opening words in this very letter to Galatia. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Notice what else Paul shows us here in Galatians 6.12. Self-exalters, fear of persecution and rejection from men more than they cherish the cross of Christ. It is to show, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. But Christ exalters were actually the opposite as we expect persecution from a world that crucified Christ. In fact, we say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Maybe lately you have caught yourself saying, I can't do it. Maybe that's the best thing you've told yourself in a long time. Because you can't. And all the time you spend propped up because you think you are doing it is time you're missing it. When I'm weak, I'm strong. It's just, if you're really slow to think about that, it's just, it's a madman talking. Or he just sees that just all of that fleshly stuff that wants to be so fixed on being right, on performing, it's getting us caught up in something where we're not just satisfied in Christ and trusting Christ fully and completely. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Hear me clearly. No one is saved because of anything they do to earn God's approval. Right standing with God is not merited by works. It is given freely to those who trust in the work of Christ on the cross. Christ is who we boast in alone. I've done nothing. You've done nothing to earn any of it. We have nothing to boast in but Jesus. Far be it from me to boast in The cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, only in the cross, only in the cross. No boasting, no exalting, no rejoicing, no thanksgiving, except in the cross. Why? Because every dream, dream for the future of this church, every assessment survey we have filled out over the years, every plan that's been formed, every notebook that's been filled with sermon notes, every dollar given, every nail driven into these walls, every child taught, every teenager mentored, is blood-bought mercy for us redeemed sinners because apart from the cross, we all deserve nothing but condemnation. Only the cross. Only Jesus. Every exaltation, every thanksgiving, every boast, every joy must be in the cross of Jesus alone. When we see that we bring nothing, we have nothing to boast in, we are desperate alone for Christ, then like Paul, we rejoice in Christ alone alone. And it is our joy to be utterly mastered, held captive by Christ on the cross in our place. In this we rejoice, because it is the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. Church, see with me today that pride and self glory is the enemy of God, pride is evil. Why? Why is it evil? Do business with that for a second. Because pride causes man to believe he is worthy of worship or praise. And that is a lie. And deep down inside you say, but I've worked so hard to get here. Doesn't it make sense that I would, re- I would just get to celebrate this a little bit and just get to enjoy a little bit of applause? Or, or I've watched my child, or look at how the Lord has overcome these obstacles in my child, and look how they turned out, and I just want to just celebrate that just a little bit. Not, it's, all of it's nothing without Jesus. None of that praise is due us, it's due the Lord. God alone is the one worthy of worship and praise. The problem is the wave that is against us in this society of what looks so normal is so deceiving. We don't understand the magnitude of the problem that pride is, largely because Satan went into the marketing business. And we've bought the repackaging of pride, now called self esteem. The enemy's taught us to value feelings of being proud in our accomplishments or in our loved ones' accomplishments. And as a result, we believe self-esteem is a good thing to grow and to work on, to read about it and to cling to it. The focus is esteem of oneself, pride of oneself's best efforts, or believing in yourself. The world says you need to have self esteem. No, no, you don't. You need to have esteem in Christ alone. Your identity needs to be in Christ alone. Your joy in Christ alone. To live for God's glory and not our own. Some might ask, what about self-help? Is that okay? And I just want you to see this. It's not okay. Why? Because it's fundamentally flawed. You can't help yourself. You're desperate for Jesus alone. It's not self-help. It's not self-esteem. It's not self-actualization you're desperate for. It is God. It is Christ. It is grace. It is the gospel. It is His glory. We live in a demonically inspired culture that wants to make you and I the center of the universe and wants to make our glory the ultimate goal of our existence. Wants us to think that everyone should bow down and realize how amazing we are. And again, if you're feeling like maybe, again, I'm being a little too firm, again can just listen to God's Word. Listen to Proverbs. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. A proud look... Is something that God really maybe doesn't like. <clears throat> Listen, a proud look is an abomination to the Lord. Some of your parents are going, man. But in that moment, when he finally did it, it's going to be really hard to put that thing away. Yeah. Sinful. Glory in God. Thank God. Point the accomplishments, the hard work, the ability to arrive to the grace of God. And don't take any of that away and hand some of it to that child. Proverbs fifteen twenty five, God promises to destroy the house of the proud. Proverbs twenty one four A haughty look, a proud heart are sin. James four six, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Think about that. To be proud is to fight God. God gives grace to the humble. Can I just point this out, church? We don't need pride. We need grace. We don't need self-glory. We need a glory in the one who is truly due all the praise. We need to see the gospel in all its fullness so that we see we are guilty and hopeless in our sin outside of grace. Outside of Christ's work in our place. We're hopeless and guilty in our sin outside of his righteousness laid upon us. Oh God, I am but a lowly sinner. that we would look to Christ and all that he has done, that we would see he alone is worthy to be praised. The glory of God alone. When given the look, when given the opportunity to say, look at me, we must say, look at Christ. This last week at our Shepherds Conference, Southern California, we met a pastor who some of you know because he's been in the media lately. He pastors just down the freeway here from us in Santa Clarita. He was given a really cool opportunity recently to be leaned on by a world-renowned celebrity whom God seemingly was working in mightily and who had legitimate inquiry of the gospel of Jesus to this pastor this pastor has been able to give be given the opportunity to share the gospel to make much of Christ to the individual and it looks like the lord is at work in some really cool ways in this person when you continue to pray for that But what I was particularly thankful for is that this God-ordained ministry moment gave opportunity for this pastor to have a huge spotlight on him with multiple national interviews, major publicized stages, and quickly out the door he says, I am simply a jar of clay. Christ is the treasure I live for and get to make much of. The table is totally set for him to get some spotlight, to get some following. He does not boast in himself at all, but Christ alone. Let me remind you the scripture that comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of In the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. It is my deep prayer that we get this, church that we see more and more, that we bring nothing. That I am nothing without Christ, and it is Christ alone that I want to point to. I'm a jar of clay who gets to point to the treasure, gets to hold and and testify of the treasure that is Jesus. That we're victorious in Him, even if we're beat down, even if we're killed. We're going to be killed. Some of us are going to die. Some of us are going to die soon. That is the work of God for the ongoing of the testimony of the gospel. For we don't live for this day, this kingdom, this house, this generation. We live to be a testimony of the gospel to, to the degree and the extent of life that God ordains for us. Why? Because we belong to Him. Because it's our joy to be His and to make much of Him. How do we boast in God and not in ourselves? A couple places to look as we close. James 1.9 he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. James commands the lowly brethren to boast. At first glance, this comes off as a little odd. It's odd because typically lowly circumstances don't equal boasting. I mean, if you run into a homeless person who you find out has terminal cancer, was rejected by their family, you don't say, hey friend, you should be rejoicing. That seems insensitive, right? Right? But it wouldn't be if you knew something else about that person. If you knew they were the possessor of the king's inheritance, and they were on a list of people guaranteed to receive a new body that would never break down, and while they were rejected from their blood family, there is a bigger family that would love them indefinitely via adoption. This is the reality that James knows his saved brethren have in Christ. He's loving them to remind them, to implore them, to put their faith to work by testifying the good news of the gospel, even in their lowly season or lowly state. The good news for the circumstantially low Christian is that those hard times are not our end. There's something beyond those circumstances, something so good, so worth rejoicing in and celebrating even. James calls this exaltation. How is the lowly person exalted only in the perfect work of Christ? He's reminding his lowly brothers and sisters in Christ to not live their lives based on their temporary status via their circumstances, but instead their eternal status, their spiritual status via Christ alone. This means that the lowly person who is in Christ may be experiencing worldly, temporary, physical humiliation, persecution, marginalization. But you are exalted in God's kingdom and economy forever. He may be hungry, but he has the bread of life. He may be thirsty, but he has the living water. He may have nowhere to lay his head, but he has a room prepared for him by Jesus in heaven. He may be beaten and thrown out, but he is healed and secured in God's eternal kingdom. He may have COVID-19, but he has eternal healing. Amen? Amen. This is what Paul just said in verses leading up to, to our text. Ephesians 2, 4-7, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus is teaching to the Beloved in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This life can be a wreck. Your body can be a wreck. Your marriage can be a wreck. Your kids can be a wreck. The injustices you face every day at work or in society can be a wreck. It can be war, it can be really hard. It can be really unfair. It can be really unjust. The depths of pain and loss and suffering can be truly all-encompassing. But in the midst of all of this, for those in Christ, we can rejoice for glory because of Jesus. Because of victory and salvation and adoption in Christ Jesus. Because that identity and that gospel ide- reality is not just over here on a shelf of religion. It is who I am, and it is how I live, and it's how I see the world. It is my testimony. It is my motivation. And so I just paused to say, Christian, do you do this? Do you exalt in Christ when your life's in a low place? If not, you're missing one of the sweetest ways God wants to work in and through you in this time. If you're feeling like, man, Pastor, this is really pie in the sky. No one does this. Let me just remind you one of my favorite testimonies, Acts 4, Acts 5, 40 through 42, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And let them go. Have you been, are you guilty lately of feeling like, Lord, really, this is my assignment? This is the way this is going to be for me? Can, can you picture what these guys in their flesh would, would have wanted to say? They're there to do the work of the Lord, they're beaten for, they're charged not to speak. They left the presence of the council. How? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. It was their joy to suffer dishonor for the exalted name of their Lord. Their eyes and their hearts and their words were not on their struggle. They were fixed on God. On their reality of belonging to the Almighty God. Of getting to speak His gospel to a world that's lost in darkness and damned to hell. Where many will repent and believe and join us. Christian brother and sister, I give you what James gave to them. If you are in a low place lately, if you've forgotten who you are in Christ, how absolutely marvelous it is to be His if you've been focusing more on what you don't have in the moment than what you do have in Christ for eternity, then boast in your exaltation in Christ. Glory in the God of your new birth. Rejoice in that you belong to Jesus and nothing can take you from His almighty grip. This is not just good feelings. It's a true lifestyle. It's a true heartbeat that causes you to think and feel and do differently. To rejoice after a beating, to confidently continue to do what the world just forbid you to do, knowing that God will get you through in his perfect time to your perfect end. Listen to Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.31 Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In his second letter, 2 Corinthians 12.9 He, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, how we need to boast in Christ alone. When we make the created things of God our treasure, we set ourselves up for a great letdown to build our lives on things that are temporaries, to build our house on the sand. When the waves come, the house is destroyed. Great and successful men and women who stake their lives and their careers, their money, their kids, their stuff, their looks, only to lose those things by which they've come to live for, be identified by them. They're left to utter ruin, led to despair, even someone to addiction, depression, even suicide. Make this personal for you this morning. What are the things or the people or accomplishments that you hold up, that you're guilty of showing off to others as a marker of what you've done? What are the ways in which you're, you're loathing because you're not getting the praise you think you deserve? How is your house, a car, a vacation portfolio, a fit body, good grades, successful kids, a spouse, even your religious accomplishments or faith, a source of boasting for you? Think about the utter lack of representation that any of these can make for you when standing before the judgment seat. Only Jesus will do. We must only boast in Jesus' church. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May this be our reality and therefore a testimony to a watching world. All glory to God alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the work that you've done in this place, in this hour, in these hearts. Holy Spirit, you know the depths of these things far beyond what I can see or know. And so I trust that you will continue what you've begun here today. You will wreck what needs to be wrecked. You'll, You'll draw to repentant motivation what needs to be confessed and repented of. You will mature us from practices of the flesh unto practices that glorify the Lord. All glory be to Christ and Christ alone. May this song be our anthem, not in this moment, but in the hours and days and weeks to come, if you so will it, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.